Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to yet another episode of the podcast known as Dark Poutine. I am Michael Brown, and this is Matthew Stockton. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you, Matthew? I wasn't saying hi to you. I was saying hi to them. Yeah. (laughs) I I understand that. Because you've already said hello to me and we ate Subway. I know. It's so funny. Whenever you buy, we get like good food. Whenever I buy, I'm like in a rush and it's like, I'm like, oh, I should get something and like turn into like the immediate restaurant that I see. Big Macs. But you're the one who takes me to IHOP. You kind of like this sort of... IHOP is great. Okay. (laughs) I felt dirty afterwards. There's a really good steak restaurant out here that we should go to. It's just called Steak and Fish. What do they serve? Steak and Fish. (laughs) The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor its parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. You are responsible for obtaining and maintaining at your own cost all equipment needed to listen to dark poutine. Dark poutine can be addictive. Side effects may include, but not be limited to, pausing and questioning the system, elevated heart rate, pondering humanity, odd looks from colleagues as you laugh out loud at work, family members not into true crime worrying about you. Positive side effects may include some perspectives and opinions that you disagree with, as well as some wokeness and empathy. If you don't think dark poutine is for you, consult your doctor immediately. March 27, 2020, Jacob Sansom, 39, and his uncle Maurice Cardinal, both Métis, went hunting in Alberta some distance outside Edmonton. They later drove home along Range Road 484. There they pulled into a driveway for an unknown reason and were mistakenly suspected of planning a burglary by Roger Bilodeau, a white property owner. Bilodeau, 58, and his 16-year-old son Joseph gave chase, reaching speeds of up to 150 kilometers per hour. Another son, Anthony Bilodeau, 33, was called to join the chase. He did, and brought a gun at his father's request. After a confrontation at an intersection near Glendon, Alberta, Anthony shot and killed both Sansom and Cardinal. The Bilodeaus fled the scene. They offered no aid to the dying men, nor did they contact authorities. The bodies of Jacob and Maurice were discovered by a passerby hours later, having died where they'd been shot. This is Dark Poutine episode 276, The Shooting of Jacob Sansom and Maurice Cardinal. 
Much of what follows regarding the lives of Jacob Sansom and Maurice Cardinal comes from quotes from family and friends on the website justiceforjacobsansom and morriscardinal.com. I will attempt a bit of Cree here. Kinanas komitin. Thank you. I am grateful to you. Jacob's wife, Sarah, wrote that Jacob and Maurice were proud, strong, traditional Métis men. The word Métis refers to individuals who identify as Métis distinct from other indigenous groups with historic Métis nation ancestry and who are acknowledged by the Métis nation. According to the website MétisNation.ca, the Métis indigenous emerged within the historic Northwest in the late 18th century. The historic Métis Nation homeland includes the Prairie Provinces, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta, and extends into Ontario, British Columbia, and the Northwest Territories, and the Northern United States. In 1870, the Métis Provisional Government, led by Louis Riel, negotiated the entry of the Red River Settlement into the Canadian Confederation as the province of Manitoba. The Métis National Council, elected by the Métis Nation, represents the Métis at national and international levels. The Métis, born from unions between Indigenous women and European fur traders during the 18th century fur trade, established unique communities and developed a distinct culture, traditions, language, michif, and a sense of nationhood. These communities formed along fur trade routes across the Northwest, and many still exist today around historic fur trade locations. Do you want to know something interesting? Sure. I, I always like to know things that are interesting. So my husband, Justin. Yes. Always said he was Anglo-Indian. Okay. Right? And it actually took me a long time to realize that actually he is Métis of India. Right. If, if you know what I mean. I gotcha. That, it, that it's, it's actually distinct culture and traditions mm-hmm. and everything. It wasn't just an interracial marriage, but it's this whole group of people that exist in India um, yeah, yeah. And, and I can remember, it wasn't too long ago, the day that I kind of, I went, bing, he's like the Métis of India. Yeah. And, he, and I explained it to him. He was like, yeah, I've been saying that. The Métis have consistently fought to protect their rights, lands, and identity as a unique Indigenous nation within Canada. This collective action ranges from the provisional governments of Riel in Manitoba and Saskatchewan in the late 19th century to the contemporary Métis governments. The Métis continue to keep their distinct culture, traditions, language, and way of life alive while striving for political, social, and economic development. Jacob Christopher Sansom, called Jake by his family and friends, was born on Tuesday, December 30, 1980 in Bonneville, Alberta, to Ruby Smith and Robert Sansom. According to its website, the town of Bonneville is located in northeastern Alberta, approximately 240 kilometers from the provincial capital of Edmonton, nestled between Cold Lake and St. Paul. It is encircled by the municipal district of Bonneville number 87. The town's name is attributed to Father Bonin, a Roman Catholic priest. The Canadian census in 2016 indicates that around 10% of the 5,900 people who live in Bonneville have Indigenous heritage. The town's motto, It's Multinatural, refers to the town's celebration of its diverse cultural heritage and rich natural resources. Sarah and Jacob Sansom, who'd been friends since high school, started a romantic relationship in the early 2000s, and they were married on July 17, 2010. 
Jacob was always active and grew into a large man, often called a gentle giant by family and friends, and Sarah wrote he was a superhero to their children, Sierra, Addison, and Dalen. Jacob loved martial arts, held a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and coached other martial artists. He also fought competitively in MMA and kickboxing matches. The Sansom family lived in Nobleford, Alberta, just north of Lethbridge and 625 kilometers south of Bonneville, where Jake was born. Jacob was kind, compassionate, and community-minded. He was a volunteer firefighter with the Nobleford Fire Department. At the time of Jacob's death, Ryan Wagner, the fire chief at Nobleford Fire Station, said to Global News, quote, As this big, tall, kind of intimidating-looking guy, when you get to know him, his heart is huge. He would always help people out, whether it was people in the community or the fire department. Sarah wrote, quote, All the kids in the community loved him, and everyone knew who he was, knew he had a heart of gold, and would give the shirt off his back for anyone, end quote. Sarah told the Star newspaper that, the Sansom children adored their father, often wanting him to join them at their friends' birthday parties and school events. He was a source of joy and laughter for them, often indulging in playful songs and dances. Despite his burly and tattooed appearance, they fondly referred to him as Princess during these fun-filled moments. His uncle Willie, an elder, had been educating him for many years so that he could pass down his ceremonial pipes to him. Jake was a healer skilled in creating medicines and therapeutic rubs for his children when they felt ill, their faith in their father's healing touch unwavering. He was steadfast in his beliefs, educating his family about his culture and traditions which were integral to their household. Sarah wrote after his death, He adored the kids and they adored him. When our babies were little, he had a small little wolf pack that grew as the years went. Now he has a wolf pack of many. He was loved by everyone he met. He inspired others without even realizing he was helping. He was humble and just genuinely kind and loving. He never judged anyway, never gossiped or spoke badly about anyone he met. He was just who he was. He was a fun, crazy, giggly dad who also taught the kids respect and made sure they were raised to treat people, family, friends, and strangers with love and compassion. He taught his children how a husband should love his wife because he loved me. He loved me so much, and he is here with me, and I feel his love and strength. He is my warrior and my best friend, partner, my goofball, my protector, and my soulmate. End quote. And this stuff's important. It's really important for family, friends, loved ones to be able to share mm -hmm. who a victim is, was to them. Yeah. Um, because in, in this situation... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the racist overtones and the history in the past of painting people with one brush. Yeah. I think that I've seen over the years more and more stories coming out from loved ones from victims. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I think it's somehow important because uh, it humanizes them. And yes. It, and it doesn't allow us as a society just to think of another number. Right. Right. Yep. Does that make any sense? It makes good sense yeah. to me. This is what we're driving at with these stories. Jake worked hard as a heavy equipment tech and was looking into working with the RCMP. However, his real dream was more creative. He was skilled at sketching, but wanted to become a published writer. Jacob was working on a young adult sci-fi novel at the time of his death, and on the family's website, Sarah indicated that she's been working with an editor to complete it. 
Jacob Sansom and Maurice Cardinal shared a lifelong friendship and did almost everything together. Even when Jacob's family had moved away, Maurice ensured that he was the first to speak to Jake every morning. Sarah reminisced that the early morning calls were only a bother when Jake forgot to turn off his phone's ringer before bed. Maurice Morris David Cardinal was born on August 13, 1962, to Gus and Clara Cardinal. According to the family's website, Morris came into the world with a head of unruly black curly hair, a family characteristic also possessed by Jake. Despite being named Maurice at birth, he preferred the spelling Morris for everything except official documents, as he didn't like the pronunciation of his official name. Morris, with his boundless tenacity and energy, was the favorite among all the children in his family who fondly remembered him as Uncle Mo or Uncle Motto Motto, referencing a popular children's film. His relationship with them went beyond simple spoiling with treats. He filled their lives with laughter, play, camping, hunting, quadding, backyard sleepovers, and good-natured teasing. Even the children of his nephews and nieces referred to him as Uncle Mo or Moto, recognizing him as a safe place. Moreover, Morris was a superb cook, known for his exceptional deep-fried fish, and family fishing trips were always eagerly anticipated for the delicious backyard fish fry that followed. Morris was characterized as a lively, perpetual whirlwind from his childhood, and he carried this vibrancy and playfulness throughout his life. His heart was pure, filled with love for his family and friends. Despite life's challenges, he remained perpetually cheerful, refusing to harbor anger or sadness, teaching others the art of living joyously and authentically. A natural comedian, his jokes, pranks, and quick wit guaranteed laughter and fun wherever he went. Morris was incredibly generous, often giving away his belongings to those who showed even the slightest interest. He valued memories and moments shared with loved ones over material possessions, often saying, quote, things are just things and they just take up space, end quote. In his younger years, his family lived off the land, setting up camp where resources were abundant. Despite the strenuous work under the summer sun and the demands of survival, he would assist his younger siblings with their tasks and ensure their safety reflecting his selfless and caring nature from an early age. He too was a traditional person. Morris was among the last in his family to continue the Métis traditions of trapping, hunting, and guiding, skills he learned from his father Gus Cardinal and his uncle Isidore Cardinal of Wolf Lake. He was fluent in Cree and dedicated to teaching others the language and these skills. Hunting and trapping had always been a part of Morris's life, and these skills were passed down through generations dating back to the late 1600s. Many of his ancestors were successful trappers, guides, and hunters. For instance, his ancestor, Joseph Frobisher, an influential figure in the Northwest Company in 1779, competed with the Hudson Bay Company. Later, in 1813, the four Leduce brothers, also from his lineage, outcompeted the Hudson Bay Company in the Lac-Labiche area, supporting the Métis free traders. Morris proudly passed on this legacy to his nephew, Jacob Sansom, from a very young age, alongside Jacob's father, Gus Cardinal. Jacob, too, had gone on to work as a guide for a hunting outfitter and was passionate about teaching his children, nieces and nephews, traditional hunting, fishing, and survival skills. Morris was a versatile individual with an array of skills and talents. 
He was a professional guide, adept at tracking, skinning, and quartering with a deep respect for nature. Throughout his career, Morris worked as a firefighter and a tree faller, often outperforming his younger peers with his work ethic and leadership. His expertise was also reflected in his craftsmanship abilities as he could build anything. Alongside his partner of 20 years, Corinne Kaddish, he would undertake building projects and host memorable parties showcasing their culinary skills. Despite not living together, Morris and Corrine maintained a loving and fulfilling relationship characterized by shared activities and mutual respect. Morris was a stepfather to three and dearly loved his daughter, Sheila. He was a grandfather to Sheila's children, Riley, Jaden, Cyrus, and little Kylie. From the family's website, quote, he would beam when talking about the kids and absolutely adored the spunk of little Kylie. He was so proud of his daughter and her incredible accomplishments. He always carried her picture around before Facebook or cell phones, and then with the advances in technology, he was able to show everyone photos right from his phone, end quote. He was a lovely, generous man. Anna Thompson, who had worked with Cardinal, told the National Post, quote, One day, I was complaining about my feet being cold, and the next morning he showed up with a nice warm pair of brand new socks for me took them straight from his stash of socks, end quote. In an article on the aptnnews.ca website, Gina Lavasseur reminisced that her Uncle Morris's visits were always exceptional. He would arrive with bags of candy, toys, and money, triggering excitement among everyone. Although the family faced economic challenges, Morris's generous nature and strong familial bonds made their life rich in joy and love. Levasseur emphasizes that even if they weren't financially affluent, they were abundant in laughter and love. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Jacob Sansom, the primary breadwinner for his family, was laid off when work dried up. On the day they died, Friday, March 27, 2020, Jacob and Morris were putting their hunting skills to work and went out looking to bag a moose to feed their immediate and large extended family. As Métis, thanks to treaties, they could hunt out of season. Doesn't COVID seem like it was such a long time ago? It was just yesterday, and we're still technically in the pandemic, although people don't wear masks or really think about it anymore, right. but it's still going. I understand these guys, right? Like it, there was a hard, the people had a hard time. Yeah. And um, like I grew up uh, eating a lot more meat mm -hmm. than we would have been able to afford. Right. Because my father was a hunter. Yep. Yep. Right. So I, I get it. I get what these guys are doing. I was very lucky to not to have had any of that kind of experience. I mean, I mean, dad was a veterinarian. I I don't recall any lean times. Right. If there were, my parents didn't let us know about it. It wasn't important for the kids to know that times right. were lean. So, yeah. yeah. We had some lean times. Yeah. Their hunt that day had been successful. Before heading home that evening, Jacob and Morris had dropped off moose meat to Morris's stepson, Jason, who lived nearby. They began driving along Range Road 484. Jacob was driving, and Morris was in the passenger seat. For a reason known only to the two deceased men, sometime after 9.30 p.m., Jacob pulled his truck into the driveway of the Bilodeau family and sat there for a time. Roger Bilodeau later said that he thought the truck had been casing their property for a later burglary. He wanted to confront them, but the strange vehicle drove off before he could. 
Bilodeau and his son Joseph went outside and hopped into their truck to give chase. When Bilodeau's truck sped up behind Jake's truck, Jake sped up, most likely afraid of the aggressive maneuvers being made by the other vehicle. They weren't doing anything wrong, so they sped away because, oh, look at these crazy people behind us. You know what? What? It's way easier to take down a license plate number yeah. than it is to, and to call the police than it is to give chase. Well, you're not supposed to. Like, the minute you're giving chase, you've broken the law. And nothing happened. Nothing happened. There is nothing that indicates that there should have been a chase whatsoever. We've seen this recently in the U.S. People will pull into a driveway. It's the wrong driveway. Or they pull into a driveway to have a chat or have a smoke or whatever. And they're being shot at by some twit who thinks that they're going to be robbed or whatever. And it's not always the case, but usually the person being shot at is a, quote, minority. Person of color, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The chase continued for approximately seven kilometers with speeds reaching up to 150 kilometers per hour. At one point, Jake stopped and made a U-turn and began heading in the opposite direction, likely attempting to evade the other vehicle driven by Roger Bilodeau. However, this attempt was unsuccessful, as Roger also made a U-turn and continued the pursuit. Meanwhile, as they drove north along Range Road 484, Roger called his son Anthony, using his cell phone as they sped past Anthony's house. Roger informed Anthony that he was pursuing the thieves and instructed his son to join the chase and to bring his gun. Anthony did what he was told, grabbing his rifle, and hopping into his truck. More after a quick break. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. So, Matthew, you wanted to talk a little bit more about what I mentioned about the shootings in the U.S. recently. Yeah, it's, uh, we keep seeing this. Yeah, someone pulls into a driveway and bang, bang, bang. We keep saying it happen, and and I I don't know if they knew that they were Métis from a distance when they started, but I can probably tell you that once they caught up with them, if they were white guys, they probably wouldn't have been shot. That's just me. I think racism played a part here. It had to have. Yeah, I it could be wrong, but like we just keep seeing it. Mm-hmm. Around 4 a.m. on March 28, 2020, a local resident driving discovered the bodies of two men near the intersection of Range Road 484 and Township Road 622, northeast of Glendon, Alberta. A black 2014 Ram 1500 pickup truck was parked at the stop sign. One body was lying near the ditch beside the truck's passenger side, and the other was in the middle of the road a short distance away behind the truck. Bonneville RCMP attended the scene and identified the truck's registered owner as Jacob Sansom. The RCMP's major crime unit was called in to take over the investigation. Jacob Sansom was the man on the road. 
and the man by the truck was Jake's beloved uncle, Morris Cardinal. The autopsy results revealed what was obvious, that Jake and Morris were victims of homicide, both having died from gunshot wounds. Jake was shot once in the chest, and Morris had been shot three times in the shoulder. The family of the two slain men was devastated, as were their friends and broader community. They all wanted to help if they could. As Jake was the sole breadwinner for his family, as we mentioned, almost immediately a close friend, Allison Yost, set up a GoFundMe page to support Sarah Sansom and their three young children. The effort had raised nearly $30,000 by that Tuesday afternoon, and as of this writing, the campaign is closed and in the end raised a total of $48,955. As is typical practice since the rise in popularity of security cameras and dash cams, RCMP made public appeals to anyone with footage recorded in the area at the time of the killings to contact them. There was video, but not from the dash cam of a passing car. A building on the fenced property near the intersection had a security camera. It was pointed at the intersection where the shootings occurred and recorded the entire incident. In the video, the truck of Jacob Sansom races into frame and stops at the intersection stop sign. Just a second behind them is Roger Bilodeau's truck. While Jake's truck remains at the stop sign, Bilodeau pulls his truck up beside Jake's. It is presumed that they briefly exchanged words here, and Jake then exits his truck. Bilodeau then pulls around Jake's truck and pulls over a few meters to the right. Roger Bilodeau positions his truck so that it partially blocks the potential travel or escape path of Jake's vehicle. Jake then walks toward Bilodeau's truck and Bilodeau jams the truck quickly into reverse. He appears to steer toward Jake, narrowly missing him, then placing Jake on the passenger side of his truck. Jake can be seen reaching into Bilodeau's truck eventually opening the passenger side door. At the same time, Morris exits Jake's truck and runs toward the driver's side of Bilodeau's truck. A brief physical confrontation takes place between the Bilodeaux and Jake and Morris. After around a minute, Anthony Bilodeau's truck arrives just as Jake and Morris are walking back and beginning to get back into Jake's truck. Anthony would later claim he could see his father being assaulted by Jake as he pulled up. The headlights of Anthony Bilodeau's truck illuminated the scene. Anthony got out of his truck, rifle in hand, and walked toward Jake's vehicle. Anthony later claimed that he racked his rifle and said, Hey, that's enough! At this point, Jake can be seen advancing toward Anthony. Morris exits the truck again, shotgun in hand, and he walks slowly toward Anthony. When Jake and Anthony come together on the road, Anthony begins backing away, and while he does, he raises his rifle and shoots Jake in the chest. Morris walks toward his nephew, pointing his shotgun at Anthony. Morris does not fire his weapon at any point. Anthony then runs away from Morris toward the other side of the road. At the same time, Roger Bilodeau again moves his truck toward Anthony, seeing his son was in danger, presumably to shield him. Morris then races back to the passenger side of Jake's truck and can be seen doing something there. Anthony stands on the road in front of his father's truck for a beat, and when Morris appears from behind the truck, Anthony raises his rifle and fires. Morris retreats again back to the passenger side of Jake's truck. At this point, 
While Morris is again doing something at the vehicle's passenger door, Anthony advances, running over, and shoots Morris, who drops to the ground writhing. As Jake and Morris lay dying, the three Bilidos gather on the road in front of Roger's truck for around a minute and appear to be talking. They then get back into their vehicles and drive off. The video was later released to news outlets and is available to watch on YouTube. There's a link to it in our show notes, but be aware, although grainy in black and white, it does show the homicides of two men. The Bilidos made no effort to contact anyone to get medical help for Jake and Morris, nor did they call police. Michael Sansom, Jake's brother, talked to CBC News. He said, quote, I just don't get why somebody could murder two people for no reason like that. They didn't rob them. The cops said nothing was missing. They pulled up just to kill them, just because. I just don't understand that, end quote. On April 1st, 2020, Anthony Bilodeau was charged with two counts of second-degree murder. Anthony pleaded not guilty, and his bail application was denied. As the hearing proceeded, many supporters of the Sansom and Cardinal families gathered in front of the Court of Queen's Bench of Alberta. The crowd chanted, No justice, no peace, and Stop the violence, stop the hate, as they awaited the decision. Many Métis and Indigenous people in the province reported that this incident was not an anomaly. Similar events had occurred several times before. Racial slurs were usually involved, and the alleged perpetrators always seemed to be white. From aptnnews.ca, quote, Jacob's brother Michael told APTN News people were posting on Facebook complaints about encounters with death threats not far from where the two lost their lives. There were a couple of people who came on and said the same thing happened to them on Facebook, said Michael Sansom, and they filed a police report and nothing was done. The same thing. People would pull up in front of them and start a fight. A guy would come up from behind their vehicle and threaten them with a gun, end quote. Michael said if the RCMP had taken it more seriously, it might have prevented his brother and uncle's killings. Michael said, well, they could have stopped it. They could have been out there looking for these guys who were doing this before that happened to my brother. I don't know who to be angry at. That's the problem, I guess. I'm not angry right now, just disappointed that nothing was done. End quote. A 2019 report titled Experiences of Discrimination Among the Black and Indigenous Populations of Canada said that in the five years leading up to the survey, 33% of Indigenous people reported experiencing discrimination, more than double the proportion reported by non-Indigenous, non-visible minorities. Both Indigenous women and men reported similar rates of discrimination, 33 and 32% respectively much higher than the rates for non-Indigenous, non-visible minority women and men. Further examination revealed that 44% of First Nations people, 24% of Métis and 29% of Inuit, experienced discrimination in the same time period. Racism is still a thing in Canada. You think? It it definitely is. I mean, I didn't mention it too much. I didn't get into it too much in the writing of this episode. But people said when they pull into a driveway, when they pull over to the side of a road on a property or whatever, and they're approached by a guy with or without a gun who is being aggressive, oftentimes the aggression includes racial slurs. Yeah. If you're angry at somebody and you use a racial slur against them, you're racist. That is, is instantly makes you racist. Even if you don't think you are, if that's what comes out of your mouth? Yeah. 
you gotta check yourself. The word asshole is universal and a very good word to use. Right, <laughs> and that's that's the th that's the word that I will use in any situation that I sort of get into. Yeah, if I want to label somebody who is <laughs> who is. Uh, being difficult with me, they're an asshole. Yeah. They don't have to be an asshole of particular color. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're just an asshole. Uh, assholes come in all... All shapes, sizes, <laughs> colors, creeds, it's religions. It's true. And, and that's why you can't, like, you just can't separate race from this story. No. You, you can't do it. And, um, you know, those numbers, though, Mike, can you, uh, you know, I, I'm a gay man. I'm open. I have experienced stuff. Right, mm -hmm. but you know, I I I am not a visible minority. Nope. Right. Yep. And the crap that these people have to go through just because of we both have indigenous friends, right? Who, just yeah. ugh. Yeah. It's so frustrating that we're in. What year are we in? Twenty twenty three. It doesn't matter what year we're in. I know, but it's it's like I I I like to hope that the human race moves forward, but it doesn't. Uh, right? Well. Roger Billadell was charged in June 2020, facing two counts of second-degree murder, just like his son. He, too, pleaded not guilty. Both used self-defense as the reason for the shootings of Jake and Morris. Neither man had any criminal record, and both were described as non-violent, caring family men. The defense team argued that Jacob Sansom began a, quote, violent and unrelenting attack on Roger Billadell and Anthony Billado heard his brother Joseph over the phone pleading with Jake not to kill their father. As this phone call wasn't recorded, we'll have to take their word for it. According to the Star newspaper in court, it was revealed that Roger Billado had instructed Anthony Billado to bring a gun during their pursuit, as he was uncertain if the individuals they were chasing were armed. Anthony Billado confirmed he brought the firearm for safety, asserting he had, quote, no intention to use it at that point at all, end quote. Anthony Billado testified that Sansom smashed the passenger window of Roger Billado's truck and attacked Joseph and Roger Billado. Anthony claimed that when he arrived at the scene, Jake threatened him and directed Morris to get a gun. Again, as Jake and Morris are dead, there's no way to corroborate these claims. Anthony also claimed that he shot Morris after the man approached him with a gun, threatening to kill him. Anthony testified he shot Morris twice more, as he could see Cardinal's gun had a magazine attached and he feared for everyone's safety. However, the prosecution argued that the shootings were unlawful as there was no threat of violence when Anthony was instructed to bring a gun and that Anthony escalated the situation by being the first to introduce a gun. Anthony's lawyer maintained that Anthony had no choice but to shoot in self-defense. Quote, It was terrifying, like you can't imagine something like that happening, Anthony told the court. It's the worst thing I've ever felt. It's the worst thing I've ever gone through. End quote. Also during court proceedings, the defense lawyers emphasized the high levels of intoxication of both Sansom and Cardinal. It was found that Jacob's alcohol level was 2.9 times the legal driving limit, while Cardinal's was 1.7 times the limit. A little victim-blaming for good measure. The jury also heard that Anthony Billadeau cut up his gun after the shooting and then threw it in a dump. Anthony admitted to disposing of lights from his vehicle bumper, testifying that he did so out of shock and fear of imprisonment for what he believed was an act of protecting his family. 
the defense denied race played a role in the killings. The jury found Anthony Bilodeau guilty of second-degree murder for the shooting of Morris Cardinal and manslaughter for the death of Jacob Sansa. Roger Bilodeau was convicted of manslaughter in both cases. Quote, We're very disappointed in the result, said Brian Beresh, Anthony Bilodeau's lawyer. This was a non-race-motivated situation. We think that this was a misunderstanding in rural Alberta. It wasn't about vigilantism at all. There's no suggestion of that. I think some people blew that way out of proportion, unfortunately. End quote. From a Global News article. Quote, Andrea Sandmeyer of the Métis Nation of Alberta spoke outside the courthouse after the verdicts were read. She thanked the jury, Crown prosecutors, the judge, and the RCMP for their work. She also thanked people and organizations that supported the family after the killings. It's been a really heavy week for this family, she said. A really heavy last almost two and a half years. We can't even imagine the strength that this family has and what they've endured. The ugly, ugly, ugliness of the keyboard warriors out there. Shame, shame, shame on you. These gentlemen, Morris and Jake, were so important to our Métis community, obviously to this family, but to all of us. They were providers. They were huge knowledge keepers. And it is a huge loss. It is a huge loss for this family. It is a huge loss for the Métis Nation of Alberta. End quote. Although both men were going to jail, the family of Jacob and Morris were disgusted by how the defense portrayed their loved ones during the trial. It was that, the family believed, that led to the lesser convictions of manslaughter. Quote, they painted it up as if he, Jacob, was violent, as if he was an alcoholic, Jacob Sansom's sister Gina said. The same old stereotypes. They paint indigenous people as if his name, his family, who he was, does not exist. End quote. Sarah spoke out too. She couldn't believe it was her husband that the defense team was speaking about during the Billado trials. From Global News, quote, how are they talking about Jake and Morris? Sarah remembered feeling during the trial. It doesn't seem like that's who they're talking about because that's not who they were. Brian Barish, the defense attorney, was able to convince the jury that my brother was a violent drunk. A violent drunk, even though my brother was none of those things, Gina explained. It kind of blows your mind, Sarah agreed. Hey, Mike, you and I have done stories from a hundred years ago yeah. to stories from a few years ago, mm -hmm. right? And defense attorneys always seem to do this. It's their job. It is their job, but it it's... Uh, it makes things seem more broken. Right? Yeah. Like, okay, so it's still okay for me to paint people in a certain way that is stereotypical. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not saying that a defense attorney wouldn't, like, do the same thing to a white guy. Mm. But I bet, you know, juries would be easier to sort of throw that away for a white dude than a First Nations dude because of inherent racism. Sarah said she was concerned about her son's reaction to the whole ordeal. My boy has said to me a few times, when I'm older, am I going to die because I'm indigenous? Sarah shared with Global News. The Crown submitted that the Bilodeaux were the aggressors. Justice Eric F. Macklin sentenced Roger Bilodeau to a combined total of 10 years in prison for two counts of manslaughter related to Jacob Sansom and Morris Cardinal's deaths. Roger Bilodeau was credited with 1,624 days for the time he'd already spent in custody before the sentencing. Justice Macklin 
sentenced Anthony Bilodeau to life imprisonment for the second-degree murder of Morris Cardinal with parole ineligibility set at 13 years. Anthony also received an eight-year sentence for the manslaughter of Jacob Sansom, which will be served concurrently with the sentence for the murder. According to the Star newspaper, after the January 2023 sentencing, defense attorney Brian Barish declared his intent to appeal the verdict in the case of Anthony Bilodeau. Barish argued that Bilodeau's actions were reactionary and noted the case's uniqueness. He expressed his expectation that the case would ultimately reach the Supreme Court. Screw you, reactionary. Right. Right? Yeah. The guy had enough time during a car chase right. to reconsider what he was doing. Right. Enough time to stop himself at when he got out of a car. Right? Reactionary bullcrap. He had enough time not to grab a gun after his dad said. The guy's an asshole. Yeah. The, this guy is an asshole. Yeah. The similarities in this story to that of Colton Bushy, which we covered in episode 256, have me wondering a little bit. Uh, to refresh you, Bushy was another indigenous man, he was unarmed, who was gunned down in Saskatchewan four years prior, and the subsequent acquittal of his killer, Gerald Stanley, in 2018. So there's no way the Billado family was unaware of that situation and its outcome because, you know, it was such big news across the prairies. Did Gerald Stanley's acquittal embolden the Billados to undertake that high-speed chase which led to the murders of two innocent men. Maybe. You know? Maybe. Who knows? Well, it had to have had an effect on their think thinking. So. Well, do they think? Yes, everybody does, regardless <laughs> of what we believe. Everybody okay. thinks. They just don't necessarily think the way we think. They just don't think good. <laughs> they don't think good thoughts. <laughs> but... I mean, Mike, this picture of the two guys. Yeah. They're lovely. Yeah, look two at, guys together in the woods. Look at those smiles. Yeah, they loved each other too. You, I mean, all the stories that I read about them, they truly loved each other. Like, look at them. Like, you look at those guys and you're like, those are, I would, I'd totally hang out with these guys. You can tell they're good guys. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Oh, God. I wouldn't cross Jacob Samson though, being a, a brown belt in jujitsu. Well, I, I mean, I tend not to cross people. Yeah, but. he would mess you up. <laughs> But, they look like but then guys. again, that would be the defense that Barish would use. Well, uh, yeah, he was a big guy. And well, then don't chase him. Don't chase him with a gun. Idiot. The fact that there was a gun there is the problem. That's the problem. And notice that Morris, if you watch this video, and again, it's a bit of a trigger warning. It is a video of two men being shot to death, although it's far away. Um, you can see Morris pointing his shotgun, but at no time does Morris shoot. He doesn't fire mm -hmm. his weapon, even though his nephew is laying bleeding and almost dead on the ground. Morris did not fire back. So what does that tell you? You mm, know, yeah. what does that tell you about these two groups of individuals? Two of them were the better men. Agreed. And that's it for Dark Poutine episode 276, the shooting of Jacob Sansom and Morris Cardinal. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARK-PTN. We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week.
I guess it's time to listen to some more voicemails. Let's take a listen to the first one. Listen, listen. My mother used to say, or no, my cousin, Scott, used to say, listen, listen. The cat's pissing. Where, where? Under the chair. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, let's listen to a voicemail now that I've offended everybody. Hello, this is Insane Prawn 13. I just wanted to say that you guys get me through my days and I love you guys and thank you so much for um, doing a podcast about Jody Hendrickson um, from Squamish, BC. Um, we also have a friend named Daniel Riok missing from Squamish, BC, but if you could get more light on Jody's case, that would be awesome. Um, thank you again. I hope this gets played and I can't add you guys to Instagram, but I'm out there. Thank you so much. Insane Prawn 13 can't add us to Instagram. Interesting. Yeah. I'll have to look into that because, uh, we do get people following us. So are we on Instagram? We are. Of course. Dark Boutines on Instagram. I rarely post there. When I do, it's either a picture of us or food. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't use social media for the way I should be using it for the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, thank you. I, I love when we get calls uh, to remind us of episodes we've done a long time ago and um, sort of reminders about ones that we haven't. So, yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening, Insane Prawn Thirteen. Insane Prawn Thirteen. The Insane Prawn Party. That'd oh. be fun. That'd be a fun party. I had prawns last night. Oh, did you? Yeah. What, did you have an insane prawn party in the bathroom afterward? No, well, I, I made prawns with uh, courgette flowers in pasta. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. Let's listen to another voicemail. Oh boy, this one looks to be local as well. Mike, Matthew, and Steve. Name's Cody. First time caller, extremely long time listener. Uh, just heard your... Uh, episode on the Duke of Boer family, and I'd like to definitely say that pretty much most of Grand Forks is um, part of that family tree as well as myself. Um, so it was really interesting to hear what, uh, I guess, more or less the family history of where they started and whatnot. And a fun little fact, my great-grandmother, along with her sisters and a few brothers, we're part of the Duke of Bore Choir. Anyways, I'm from Kamloops, and uh, I'll let Mike, fi- or sorry, Matthew, figure out where I what I do for a living. But I will give him a little bit of uh, information that I am a forklift operator. What I do is up to him. All righty, you guys go take a shit in your hat, and thanks. Okay. <laughs> so he let us know that he's a forklift operator. Okay, he's really challenged me here. But what does he lift with his forklift? <laughs> I Okay, I hope he gets this comedy, but since we did the Duke of episode, I'll get back to the forklift. The sure. forklift I've been singing Duke, 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 Duke of I, I, I get it. Have yeah. you been doing that as well? No, I have not. Like for two weeks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think he forklifts. All the political bullshit, <laughs> and 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 feeds um, the ogopogo. There you uh, go in the lake. So yeah, yeah so, he, so he ogopogo he, eats political bullshit. All the political bullshit that we're going through right now, he forklifts that crap up to try to keep the keep the keep the country clean, and he dumps it into the water. So 
So Ogopogo can feed on the nonsense. Yes. Uh, I really like it that actually somebody with Dukabor roots called and, and was not like, you got it all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, make, that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. It's, so that, that one was really interesting. Yeah, I liked, I liked that It really episode. was. And, and just, you know, I spent time living in Russia, so that connection mm-hmm. made it fascinating for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've got another voicemail here. This one looks like it's almost three minutes long, so... We it, might edit it. We might edit it. We'll see. But it could be excellent. We'll find out. Hello, my name is Kristen. I live in St. Peter's, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis. Um, I have been a fan of the show for a long time. I love true crime and I get tired of the same old, same old American stuff. Um, so I like to listen to your podcast for all the, uh, Canadian nonsense. Um, I was lucky enough to have Matthew friend me on Facebook, which is an honor. Um, and he comments on my stuff, which makes me so good. And then I recently posted, like, not recently, like just posted, um about how uncool I am and then he like just like literally just in like this is like seriously stalker that I'm calling you right after this happens but um told me I'm cool and (laughs) Matthew thank you I love you so much you are like the big gay uncle okay my other big gay uncle (laughs) (laughs) that I have and I love you very much and I love you Mike you guys are so amazing and Matthew I'm cool I'm almost 40 I have two teenage boys who have all the the common lingo and I don't feel cool at all and to be called that by one of you who I think are like the coolest people on the planet is amazing um, I love your podcast. I am behind on it because God wouldn't know I have time to listen. Um, but I am catching up and I love you guys so much. I love how compassionately you tell the stories, how empathetic you are um, to the victims and their families, which is very different than a lot of the podcasts I listen to. Um, and still have a sense of humor when it's warranted, which is amazing. Um, oh, it's like a ramble. I'm sorry, but I love you guys and thank you, Matthew. Please continue to follow me. I'm the one with the possum as my <laughs> um my profile picture, if you can tell. Uh, anyway, please continue to follow me. I love posting memes and posting amazing, funny stuff and some of the stuff I steal from you. Um, anyway, love you guys. Adore everything you do, please keep doing it. And, um, Matthew, please keep telling me how cool I am. Love you guys. Bye. So we didn't edit that because Matthew was like, no, don't edit. You're not editing any of that, Mike. (laughs) So I, I, I think, I think she wrote something like, oh, fangirling or something when I, when I told her she was cool. Yeah. So just so you know, um, I'm just me. Yeah, And so I actually screen grabbed that and sent that to my brother <laughs> to kind of go, look, I'm D-list celebrity. <laughs> so we, we have a little bit of fun uh, yeah. with that because Mike and I, like, 
we get we get fans and stuff and when people think we're cool it's just like we're just like it's but it's just us yeah. it's just us we're just regular schmoes we just we happen are. to talk to you every week <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and we get it like two two teenagers um yeah get, but get caught up there's some good episodes there are some good episodes and matthew's writing a couple right now yes and then I'm going to add a third, so we'll actually have like a series of three. That are sort of aligned. Yeah. Similar story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But no, thanks for that. And uh, yeah, you can keep stealing my memes. So other being, other than being a cool person with two teenagers, uh, what else does she do, Matthew? Does she have some sort of special talent or a job that, or a hobby or something? that she does sort of with that will surprise everyone. Um, she, she's in St. Peter. Yeah. Um, uh, she, uh, creates miracles. She's a miracle worker? creationist, miracle uh, worker. Miracle worker. Is that what they call it? Yeah. That was that Helen Keller movie, the miracle worker was. Oh it? yeah. Yeah. So she just like everything she does every day is just like, she does a little, little, little miracle every day. Oh, that's nice. Never claims. That she did it. Sort of facilitates the miracle. So when something, some good shit happens to you on the, on a day, sometimes it's her. That's great. Yeah. Well, we appreciate <laughs> uh, your miracle work. <laughs> That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one 877 We'd love to hear from you even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. All right, it is time for our Patreon shout-outs, and we do have a Patreon shout-out this week. Yay. And this person is from Peterborough, Matthew would say Ontario, but it's not. New Hampshire is where this person is from. Okay. And she is Paula Forrest. Paula Forrest. Paula Forrest. From Peterborough. And uh, what does Paula do there in Peterborough, Matthew? Yeah. So curious what you came up with here. So people don't know this. Okay. But maple syrup is made outside of Canada as well. What? Yes. Oh, my goodness and, gracious. And Peterborough, New Hampshire actually is a big producer of maple syrup. Wow. So she disseminates falsehoods. About the Canadian maple, she's a she's a propagandist for oh, so, for, for for American maple. So she's a lobbyist, essentially. No, a propagandist uh, for, for for American maple syrup. She probably works on the behalf of the maple syrup lobby of the United States. No, America. no, she just does it. Or just randomly. Yeah, she, she she's, she's pissed off. She has Canadians, gumption. She has gumption, man. She's actually probably pretty cranky <laughs> that we Canadians think we're think, the only think place. Think we're all about it, right? Yeah, well, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to all our patrons and donut money donors, past and present, for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening. And tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And that's it for yet another episode of Dark Poutine. Until next time, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye. Goodbye. Her name is Elspeth. Elspeth Tassioni. You know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from The Good Wife and The Good Fight. You've been a very busy little bee. Buzz, buzz. Now she's in New York with the NYPD. This is very different. Better. But still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tassioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.